Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Most people worry about how technology is going to affect the future. But James Vlaho stood a few years back facing an almost opposite question. How could technology help him embrace the past? Yeah, so that was in 2016 that my family got the diagnosis. And you know, kind of the short version of the story is that um, the family decided to do an oral history project, something we'd been talking about for a long time. Vlahos is a journalist whose father found out he had stage four lung cancer. So I sat down with him. I recorded him over a series of a dozen interviews. I got all those interviews transcribed. I wound up with, I think, 90,000 words of just him telling his life story from everything he knew about his ancestors to his growing up in high school and college and meeting my mom and hobbies and career and, you know, his life story. What Vlahos did with his dad's life story is the unusual part. It looked like he wasn't going to have him for long, but he didn't want to lose him. And I thought, like, I'm going to make uh, I'm going to make a dad bot is what I called it, that can interactively you know, be able to share some of this material from my father so that you can chat with it and hear facts about his life and even, you know, sort of get a sense of his personality, his sense of humor and and hear him telling jokes and singing songs. So it was something I created that you could communicate with over Facebook Messenger. And then also, so it was mostly text messages, but you would also get audio vials at times hearing his his actual voice. While all this was happening, Vlahos happened to be researching a book about what might be the future of technology, voice computing. And the meeting of mom was at a rehearsal, an afternoon rehearsal. In the morning, I'd been playing tennis and was wearing tennis whites. In those days, she wore white shorts and white shirts and stuff. And I came bounding down the stairs of the theater toward the stage saying, tennis anyone? And mom thought I was the biggest jerk in the world. So then we started talking on the telephone. So, sorry, I wasn't, uh, didn't realize you're going to play that then. It made me feel a little emotional. Vlahos' effort to capture the essence of his dad before he was gone, it changed how he thought about speech and computers, just as an army of Amazon Alexas and Google Homes were marching into American neighborhoods. Vlahos' book would eventually be called Talk to Me, How Voice Computing Will Transform the Way We Live, Work, and Think. But before the book ever existed, he understood, maybe more than most of us, the power of the human voice, even if it was just used to cheer on UC Berkeley at football games. We'll strive for victory. They're all at Botter's feet. We'll lay that brains and brawn. We'll win the day. Our banner gold and blue, the symbol on it too, means fight for California, for California through and through. I get a lot out of the dad bot, um, both creating it and, and using it. And, you know, I would, just was having a little exchange with the dad bot uh, last week. And he said something that, you know, I just forgot that he could say. And it was just so my dad. And it sort of brought this flood of emotion to me. But Vlaho says the dream of having someone you can turn to, a sage, an immortal maybe, that dream has been around for a long time. You know, I think you can think about it in terms of animism. Like we want to believe that the objects have life or they can be imbued with life 
and that we can turn to these objects for help and advice and for superpowers. So it, it very much predates the technological age to have that dream. And the dream shows up in myths and legends and folktales and Star Trek. Tell me the location of Commander Data. Lieutenant Commander Data, now located in Holodeck Area 4J. And as you can see, sir, it's pointing you that way. Thank you. Lots of kids watched Star Trek, both the original one and the next generation, and they soaked up this idea of commanding a computer with your voice. You know, when, when I was in fourth grade, we would, me and my friends, uh, Dean and Kyle, who lived next door a couple houses down in Houston, Texas, would uh, play Star Trek almost every day. And uh, we would fight over who got to be Captain Kirk or Spock. or And somebody usually played the computer, too. That was Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos in 2016 talking about what inspired the voice computing work that his company is doing. And Vlaho says, look, this is a guy with the money to try to make what he saw on TV a reality. I mean, it, it's sort of in hindsight, it seems obvious, like, why should a computer have to be this clunky device that sits on a desktop? Why shouldn't it be more like a being that you can interact with? And they're just they're trying to bring that to life. That question, why should a computer just be a clunky thing that sits there? It's something the tech world has been asking for a long time. For decades, a talking computer has been more than just a science fiction dream. You know, back Sort of in the 40s and 50s, scientists were already talking about, oh, yeah, we're going to teach computers to talk or we're going to teach them to translate languages for us. They're going to translate Russian so that we can get an advantage in the Cold War. And every time people have made a serious run at this, they keep finding that the problem is more complicated than they originally realized, not less. But over time, things have gotten better, like when the IBM computer Watson went on Jeopardy in 2011. Let's try Don't Worry About It all the way down at 2000, Alex. It's just acne. You don't have this skin infection, also known as Hansen's disease. Watson. What is leprosy? You are right. I mean, what you're really seeing there, you know, it looks, it looks in some ways like the computer is smarter than it is. You know, what it is essentially doing is looking at a question and pairing it with a piece of content that corresponds as the answer. And it does that by, you know, searching many, many different sources. And, and part of what it did well was the ability to say, like, oh, I found 12 sources that show, you know, the date of George Washington's birth as this year, two sources that show it as a different. So I'm going to trust the 12. So kind of trusting the wisdom of the crowd. The tricky part of all this is that when we have computers we can speak to, we don't just want to use them to play Jeopardy or transcribe notes from a meeting. We want more than functionality, more than adding milk and pasta to the list of stuff that we have to get at the store. We want, well, maybe what we really want is someone to make small talk with. Yes. I mean, Amazon has been most vocal about this, but what what executives there will say is that like some people are looking for Alexa to speak with them like a friend and mm -hmm. that they're seeing this use pattern where, you know, maybe it's someone they're alone at home. They're a little bored. Maybe they're making dinner. Who knows what the scenario is? 
And they're not saying, you know, play this song or set the timer or turn up the thermostat. They're saying, hey, Alexa, what's up? <laughs> Tell me a joke. But, it, but wait a minute. Yeah. It's a computer. Nothing's up. Like, it's a computer. Nothing's going. Like, what's going on? Nothing. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. But I'm just <laughs> saying that there is, there's an appetite among some people for what is a very euf- euphemistically referred to as non-utilitarian conversation. Okay. So people are not trying to get anything done. They're just, you know, they're in the same way that, you know, you come home, you're lonely sometimes, you turn on the TV, you turn on the radio, you just, you want a voice there. People are now looking to Alexa and Siri to be that voice and to talk back and forth with them. So Amazon, Apple, whoever else, they are, they're trying to meet that need. How tough a problem is that? How hard is it to go from, like, how tall is the Statue of Liberty to, hey, what's going on? Or I had a tough day today, and they have to figure out what to say back to you. It's it's a hard problem. So I, I, I got sort of a uh, behind-the-curtain peek at the Amazon Alexa Prize contest, and, you know, this where the express purpose was to build these social bots to make small talk conversation. And they could go, you know, anywhere from one to eight turns with what was starting to sound like a conversation that made sense. And then the social bot would say something just utterly nonsensical or idiotic that would reveal in that moment, like, I didn't really understand Anything you were saying. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. So, and, and there, was, there was an example that stood out where uh, I think it was, you know, the, the, the system read a news headline about Marquise Goodwin, the football player, his wife having a miscarriage. And the person who was talking to the social bot said like, oh, you know, that's, that's so sad because we're humans. We know what it means to lose a child in pregnancy. And then the social bot after that was like, neat. <laughs> You know, just totally tone deaf. Like, it didn't know what death was. It didn't know what birth was. And you could see it all in a moment, the lack of true understanding. So I I wonder how much... I mean, there's a technology problem here, right? But then there's also this kind of social problem because certain things can be answered. Like, you know... What year did this song come out or, or, you know, how many people live in Shanghai? These are questions that, that can be more or less answered. But how much are companies employing, like, I don't know, ethicists or I don't know who would help you answer the kinds of questions of, like, you know, I'm, I'm having a problem with my boyfriend. What should I do? That's not a problem that has an answer specifically, really. Uh, different people are going to have different views of that answer. Right. There are a lot of questions with no yes or no, right or wrong, you know, retrieve a fact type answers. Right. And it's it's something that Amazon and Apple are aware of. And I, I've seen job listings, like there was a job listing for somebody to work on the Siri team, and they wanted somebody who had sort of a mental health and psychological expertise. And in the in the job listing, they said, you know, people ask Siri about having tough days. They talk about being depressed. You know, sometimes they even talk about uh, having suicidal thoughts. We want somebody who can help us to teach Siri to know the right things to say in those moments. So it's happening, and a lot of it 
you know, behind the scenes, we always picture, especially with a company like Google, you're thinking, you know, it's, it's all the algorithms and it's it's all completely automated and it's happening with the computer. But there are actually a lot of there's a lot of manual scripting of responses. And especially when it comes to responses where you just you do not want to screw it up. Like if somebody says, I'm thinking of committing suicide, you do not want the social bot to say neat. <laughs> right. Right. Yep. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm talking with James Valhos. He's the author of Talk to Me, How Voice Computing Will Transform the Way We Live, Work, and Think. Let's talk about some other potential issues with voice computing, at least that I can see. It seems like, you know, obviously we have a way that we mostly work on our computers, a way that we mostly work on our phones. We kind of, we either write emails, we scroll through things on our phone. It seems like there's lots of things that voice computing will never be good for. There's lots of things in the office we wouldn't want to say out loud, either because it's inappropriate, like we're writing somebody an email, but it's not like for everybody to know about, or because we don't want to disturb people, like we're in an elevator and it's just not right to just start saying something out loud. How does voice overcome that? Or is it always kind of ancillary to, you know, writing, which is like the main thing? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And When I started working on the book, I think I had a very dogmatic prediction that, you know, voice was going to basically eradicate every other type of computing. And the more nuanced view and one that's that's taken hold across Silicon Valley is, you know, voice is going to be a very important augmentation to pre-existing forms of computing. There's just a lot of scenarios as as you mentioned where yeah people don't want to speak out loud or you know imagine something like you are researching possible flights for a trip you want to take you can get much more information much more quickly by looking at a screen than you can having Siri or Alexa read you at 4.08 p.m. There is a flight. Yeah. By the time they were on the second flight, you would have forgotten all the numbers that they just told you. This is flight 205, you know. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's not a good way. So it's it's not going to replace screens. Speech is not going to replace screens. I think the interesting question is what is what can speech and voice computing do better than these other forms of computing can do? And you know, a lot of the interesting research and thinking right now is in applications where like, oh, you want, we're not going for efficiency here. We're going for, we want more of a human touch. So uh, customer service or healthcare or or mental health counseling, um, anything where you sort of want to have a more, you know, just sort of a human-like touch is going to lead to a better experience for the user. Mm. There's been so much discussion about privacy. Now, obviously, if you've got a thing in your home and, you know, all you have to say to it is like, hey, Alexa or hey, Google or whatever. And there's a lot of question about how much are these things listening even when you're not talking to them? And what does that information get used for? What's your view of the privacy issue here? I think in some ways it's overblown in the sense that you know we're already carrying around phones all day and they literally follow us everywhere we go right from the moment we wake up till when we like you know turn off the light at night in bed and our phones have microphones and they're connected to the internet 
So, so like that ship has sailed. <laughs> We're already being watched. <laughs> yeah, or or well, we already have the potential to be watched. Like there's there's this microphone that can be connected to the internet. So that inherently is you know should make you a little bit nervous. So in that sense, the smart speakers aren't that different. What Amazon and Google and everyone are saying about their speaker is that like it's not beaming audio continuously to the cloud. It's waiting for this wake word before they start streaming audio. You know, they say that and I actually believe that. I don't think they're playing around with that. It's it's really when I think about this issue, I just think more about the future. Because again, like they're selling these, these smart home devices, you know, at or near cost. Like they're not really making heaps of money. Well, Apple actually is selling them for a higher amount, but but both Google and Amazon are not trying to make boatloads of money out of selling the devices themselves. So you just have to wonder, like at some point, like data is going to become data slash advertising will become the plays. So. You know, this this data and these things you say to the systems, um, they'll be used in ways to make money. So it's waiting for the other shoe to fall, I guess, is where we're at with the privacy issue. James Valhos is the author of Talk to Me, How Voice Computing Will Transform the Way We Live, Work, and Think. James, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. You can read more about the dad bot that James Vlahos created after his father was diagnosed with lung cancer. We will link to an article that he wrote about his experience. It's at our website, innovationhub.org. And Vlahos says that we're already starting to see this technology proliferate. Alexa is now being built into refrigerators, cars, and if you can believe it, toilets. Toilets. 